Growing a business is hard, but it does not have to be. Once a week, we take a break from the hustle and bustle in business to talk about innovations and what's new in the C-suite. This is the Fractional C-Suite Retreat, and I'm Joseph Frost. Pull up a seat at the fire, grab a drink, smoke a cigar, and just join me as we relax, learn, and get inspired. This retreat is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow with better marketing strategy. Welcome. I'm excited to have our guest today join us. Uh, she is a data-driven performance marketing executive with over a decade of experience in demand generation. She's grown and mentored lean marketing teams from scratch. She was named one of the 10 most inspiring women leaders in 2021 by IERA Women Leaders Magazine. And she is a CMO at Your CMO. She's one of our own fractional CMOs, and that uh, is most endearing to me. I welcome you to meet Aditi Karandakar. Aditi, nice to have you. Thanks, Joe, and glad to be here. Yes, and today is uh, not the day people will listen to this, but today is National Women's Day. So happy National Women's Day. Thank you. I really enjoy that aspect of the fact that we are recording today because it's really close to my heart. Yeah, it's terrific. And, and uh, we have a lot of great women on our team at your CMO and, and you are one of them. So I'm excited to explore um, you and, and uh, your thoughts further here. But before we jump into a general discussion, I like to open each of our podcasts with a, a simple question. And it's an opportunity for you to share with something that you think is interesting or a problem or an opportunity that you see that uh, you believe other fractional chief marketing officers or fractional chief professionals in general or other C-suite members um, should be aware of or be thinking about. Sure, I think the evolution of the C-suite, especially from the marketing perspective, has been that back in the day, marketing was seen as a cost center, you know, or the brochure generator, however you want to look at it. I think that has flipped to be, we are now considered the revenue creators in the company. We have a seat at the revenue table. We are taken seriously by the C-suite in terms of what we bring to the pipeline for sales to close, whether it's marketing influenced or marketing sourced directly. And in a lot of the go-to-market motions, whether it's partner first or direct uh, to market, there is a recognition that marketing has to be a key element that we plan for, not just you know the product, but also how we go to market and what the impact would be in the market. So I think that is very gratifying as a marketer. And having been in the um, core area of uh, demand generation and marketing ops, I feel that I have lived in the world between marketing and sales and very tangibly measured on results, which I like because I'm it's not about anecdotally, oh, marketing didn't do its job or, you know, it's very, very, very tangibly measured in today's era of digital marketing. And we can show the value of marketing very attributably to the efforts that the team has put in. So I really like that um, iteration of marketing we have today. Having said that, that puts pressure on marketing, right? We cannot be considered a fluffy team. We have to have all this, um, you know, results and goals that we have to work for kind of similar to what the quota-driven world of sales looks like. You know, you carry a target. You have to uh, have the 
back calculation of the sales goal and what you need to carry. So you're measured by the uh, achievements that you have made every quarter. And in a way, it's it's a double-edged sword because if you make your goals, they give you harder goals next time. <laughs> so that's yeah. been my world, you know, um, doomed if you do, doomed if you don't, but I love it. I love the excitement of making the goals, you know, hitting targets and, you know, feeling very uh, um, much a part of the team that has driven the com a company to scale. So that is something I enjoy. Um, there's a lot there that I want to get into, but first, could you explain to me what your definition of demand gen is? Yeah, I mean, it is not really one thing. It's about how do you make sure that the campaigns that you structure are resonating in terms of content messaging and then the persona that you're targeting for them how do you reach them where they are with which are the watering holes that they exist in that you want to be also uh, present because in the buyer journey you want to intersect them where they are at the right time and whether the right time is when they are beginning to feel the pain point or they have already realized what the solution is and is looking at a couple of vendors and you want to hijack that narrative by putting your brand and your solution in front of them. Or it is when they're almost ready to buy, but are hesitant, how do you incentivize them to get off the fence and actually take a decision? So I think demand generation in my mind um, is a end-to-end, -end, um, you know, strategy and tactics which lead the purchase funnel uh, to sales to close. Sometimes it is to go with sales into the market. Sometimes you bring to sales what they didn't even realize is out there. So I think, um, you know, how you do it is, yeah, it's integrated uh, across multiple channels, whether you're doing search. And when I say search, I include organic SEO, uh, paid search, account-based marketing, you have content syndication, you have email marketing and optimizing your database uh, segmentation to go out to people. Um, you have the cross-sell, upsell uh, campaigns and retention campaigns for your existing clientele. You have your net new logo client, uh, campaigns, opportunistic campaigns. Let's say it's COVID and you find an opportunity or it's seasonal campaigns, always on campaigns. You have uh, the whole um, ecosystem of events and webinars and they have evolved with COVID so much. So there are so many ways that we want to kind of reach our audience. But the, at the end of the day is getting to disseminate the knowledge about the product and solution in the time of need to the right people. And I think that's, uh, that's a great description of um, strong marketing effort in general. And where I get hung up, and it's maybe it's semantics, forgive me if we're going down a rabbit hole here, but um, what is not uh, demand gen that you would consider marketing? Because you, you laid out a lot of marketing tactical strategies and campaigns, and that's what many people consider marketing, and you labeled it as demand gen. And I know there's a differentiator in your mind. I'm just curious, what, how would you describe what is not demand gen that is also yeah. considered marketing? In most of the companies I have worked with, and it's different in every company, how they define it. 
for example, web, um, you know, the website, et cetera, sometimes is owned by digital teams. There are companies where definitely they delineate marketing into Marcom, you know, it's corporate communications, AR, PR, analyst relations, those kind of elements. There is product marketing and there is demand generation. But I feel like these are not laid out in, you know, stone because product marketing and demand generation, for example, go hand in glove. Demand generation, when it's doing SEO, is causing branding. It's reaching wider than ARPR sometimes does. It is only after you have created brand and product knowledge that it can trickle down into lead generation. You know, so I almost feel like the elements which are uh, overlapping in these definitions, then we don't kind of speak of the what is the non-sexy part of marketing is marketing operations, which is under the hood, which makes the machine hum. This is where the execution happens and how that ties back into your reporting and analysis. You know, So all that tech stack, which enables modern marketing is really uh, the tip of the iceberg is what we are addressing here. But it's really something that I have I'm a bit of a nerd and I love the tech stack and, you know, getting into the weeds of Marketo and Salesforce and, you know, the chatbots, uh, which are now AI chatbots, which I feel like a lot of the innovations in technology find an application marketing and almost the CMO is the one that the CIO is serving in modern companies, because they're the ones who are making the decisions about the tech stack on how to be, you know, whether it's predictive analytics, whether it's account-based marketing, uh, all those real-time elements that are happening in the cutting edge of modern marketing is, you know, happening, uh, which is so exciting. Even the conversational AI and all these uh, elements are coming together in how you bring them together in um, demand gen and also in broader terms, marketing. Okay. Well, that was a, that was a good clarification and it is a objective, probably different definitions for each company. Um, I hear the term thrown around a lot. Oh, we need demand gen. Like, well, I mean, everybody probably at some descriptor needs demand gen versus, you know, fuzzy marketing and uh, branding, but they do go hand in hand and it's a holistic effort generally. And it also needs to be, as you mentioned, aligned with sales, um, whether it's directly integrated or loosely integrated. Um, you can't have one without the other and really be able to showcase success. So um, are there certain industries today that you think are benefiting more from the modern marketing than others? Yes, I think some industries are definitely by the nature of them like high-tech industries or fintech or reg tech, compliance tech, all these are, even health tech or biotech to an extent, are gravitating more towards uh, these, uh, I won't call them shiny new objects, but they're early adopters, you know. What I feel though is the traditional industries, even though they have a lot of um, fears about HIPAA or uh, fraud or compliance and regulation um, needs, they do, need to and they realize the need to enter the modern world of marketing and in fact when i see fractional cmo uh, being recruited or any cmo people tend to gravitate towards people with uh, 
experience in their domain or vertical, but it might sometimes help to have somebody who has a background in something uh, which is in a adjacent in uh, you know industry, which brings a new perspective because um, let's say it's enterprise sales motion. Now that's common, whether you're doing it uh, in one vertical versus other. So somebody who's steeped in the B2B tech uh, uh, motion to enterprises or even SMBs or mid-enterprises mid can bring some of that knowledge is portable to some of the more traditional industries. And that actually opens up the way things have been done in the legacy of these companies to maybe try something new if they've already exhausted and reached a plateau of growth. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of the modern market that can be measured is, is mostly digital, right? You still have struggle with traditional marketing being attributable easily to um, certain outcomes. There's, there's ways to do it. Well, I would caveat that. No, in no company have I been that knows end-to-end -end what the marketing is attributable to. Even if yeah. they're very sophisticated, there are always these gaps. I mean, did you see my ad first and then later remember the brand name and come back by typing dub, dub, dub the domain? So then are you attributable to paid search uh, or direct or to SEO? Maybe used Google navigationally to find the right spelling of the website. I'm just giving you, even within um, digital, there are all these gray areas of first touch, last, last touch attribution, multi-touch attribution. There are all these models out there. But I will tell you that sometimes, you know, you tend to go and follow the data too much and, Sometimes it's also a gut check that needs to happen because you may end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. You might say, oh, I'm not seeing any direct contribution from Google AdWords. Let, let me cut it because I'm not seeing anything directly correlated. And you do that and you find this halo effect of things going down overall and you're scratching your head. And it's actually because that created this ripple effect which you were not tying back to Google AdWords, but it was definitely creating some traffic and volume that uh, now you have cut. So I think I, I would take that with a grain of salt to say that all digital marketing is perfectly mapping to what we can attribute. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And so then how do you, how do you uh, advise a company on what the right mix is if you don't really know? I think each company is different. I, while I've worked in various domains and verticals and different size companies, I always come into a new company or a new client with this attitude of let me first learn and test and iterate. So something may have worked well in my past with one particular ecosystem, which may not work. So let's go small, test out some of the ideas that have worked previously. Let's see if it resonates with this audience and this ecosystem and then scale it, right? Whether you're scaling it to other product lines or other countries that the company wants to enter or you know, other use cases or audiences. So definitely, you know, you have all these arrows in your quiver, but the channel mix that you want to gravitate towards in my mind is a mix of guaranteed versus high quality, but non-guaranteed. So let me give an example. 
you go to an event or you do a webinar with a thought leader, you're guaranteed, let's say, 100 leads coming back from that. Whereas you do paid search, is there a guarantee? No, that you will get that many leads. But you need to have that mix because paid search or SEO driven, um, and SEO has a long-term impact rather than the pay-to-play model. Um, you will see that you need to have a mix which is best suited by testing each channel and then scaling those channels in the mix. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of um, art and science uh, in the marketing space these days. There's more science than there used to be, which is nice, but it's still not, um, as you said, it's not crystal clear. A lot of A-B testing, a lot of intuition, um, a lot of data, insight polling. Um, now how do you how do you work with companies that may not have a baseline of success? So now you have to you're just starting completely from scratch. Are you pulling what's worked for other people and, and introducing it and then seeing if it works? Is that the best way to work? No, I would. I would start with what does the company want to do? Do they want to create brand awareness? Do they want to go to market because they're coming out of stealth? Are they in the stage where they have reached a certain amount of success and they want to you know, just look at the company goals? What does the leadership or the C-suite define as their goals? And then get into how do we reach those goals? If there is a certain type of audience that works best going to events rather than digital? Or is it that you want to be in certain, uh, you know, content syndication plays? Um, it's all about, you know, understanding if there has been previous uh, success or benchmarks, then it's easy to do that. But if you're starting net new, you have to take some educated guesses and see where that goes. Yeah, that makes Makes good sense. So I think you said you were kind of a nerd um, when you talked about uh, MarTech and the different types of technology out there. What, what are some of your favorites and least favorite technologies in the marketing space today? You know, I like the mix of predictive analytics and ABM. So let's say sales comes to you and says, I have a wish list of these thousand accounts that I want to get into. They have identified it because of demographic, firmographic, um, you know, technographic reasons. Um, they want to displace a, a competitor. They want to go in and create um, awareness of ours. So when you work in alignment with sales, you take that thousand, um, you know, but marketing's value add is that you are going to look at these thousand logos and see through predictive analytics who's even in market. Maybe if you're laser focused on, and you know only on those thousand, you might miss out, um, you know, lookalikes who of our customers who are actually in play but are not on sales's radar or that list. So you want to uncover those and bring to sales and say these are exactly lookalikes of who we have won in the past. They are not on your list, but they are showing purchase signals. So let's also grow, go after them. At the same time, if you are seeing, you know, um, certain of these uh, lists um, have people, have companies that will buy, but they're not likely to buy for two years because they just replaced their storage system or they just went to the cloud. So yes, they are our target audience. We need to maintain our brand awareness with them, but let's not do the high profile to TLC 
for impact of this quarter or the next, because depending on the length of your sales cycle, you want to work with sales to help them reach those goals in the near term, while keeping an eye on who we are going to nurture for the long term. Yeah. What, uh, what technology do you like to use to help you know, do that work? Is there, is there specific vendors that you like? Are there tools that you've come across? Any of your favorites? My favorites, one thing I love is to remove the anonymity of who's on the website in real time. So I love Drift chatbots. There are other technologies out there I've used who can tell you who's in real time on the website. And we would see some really good clients as well as net new logo prospects on certain pages of the website. So in my previous company, we dedicated resources to chat with them, whether proactively or reactively. So let's say we see somebody who's on the wish list and they have been brought through various techniques, whether it was paid search, SEO, email marketing, or LinkedIn. We have brought them and they're on the page. We want to probably direct them to content which is more aligned to their industry. So let's say they're sitting on a generic page, but we have a case study in the healthcare space, which would make more sense for this particular company. We wanna make sure that we personalize the content on the website. And then we also want, once they leave, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack as to these big companies who might have visited us. Yeah, We don't want to lose them. Um, and then try to go on LinkedIn and then reach out via sales or inside sales. So I have led inside sales teams into companies and their, uh, you know, ch- charter, part of the charter was to grab people in real time while they are on the website. And uh, I'm wondering with the advancements in AI, is it even possible yet to do that with AI or do you need that human behind the scenes in real time grabbing that opportunity so it's already well drift works on the it's like when it started and i don't want to misquote here depending on what they are doing right now as a decision tree so they would self-qualify and then we would decide this is a good person to flip to a human and take up the human's time so it's the productivity aspect of the inside sales team as well because so you don't want to waste their time so you need the bot to human flip happening when you realize that this is somebody we want a human to take over. And that happens through the decision tree, the AI, to, through the um, you know, routing of the routing logic in the back end for that. I'm curious uh, with the advancements in AI and all the chatter about chat GPT, which is nauseating to me. I am enjoying kind of watching it, but I'm waiting for it to all filter out. But I'm curious, more specifically with uh, Microsoft Bing as a search engine, do you see Bing getting a, a boost from all of this uh, activity that's sustainable or just a blip? So, yeah, Google has 90% dominance, right, in the search SERPs. But Bing may, uh, you know, at least uh, get this momentary blip. But I don't know how much they will capitalize on that. But I'll tell you on ChatGPT or any generative AI, my excitement is that content has been always the bottleneck. Um, Let's say for campaigns, you need versions of content across the buying funnel. At the top of the funnel, you want to create awareness of a solution for a pain point. At the middle of the funnel, you want to explain why your product, as opposed to the competition, 
you know, is the best. And at the bottom of the funnel, you want to incentivize them with a offer that they won't be able to say no to. So, but, and the, but imagine all this with permutation of combination of um, multiple personas, multiple industries you're selling into. So which had GPT, I was just testing, uh, you know, SEO rich content for certain keywords for a nonprofit I help out. I volunteer for women's um, and today's, uh, you know, very, um, it's it's a nonprofit I work for, uh, Lead and Heal. So I was trying to find content and, you know, they don't, they can't afford content writers. So. Right. I think for especially those kind of industries, when ChatGPT can create this content rich with data points and research in done in minutes, bringing me all the, um, you know, I was, I gave it an exercise of writer content rich in SEO keywords of um, women's empowerment, financial education for women, etc., and it generated something which of course I needed to tweak a bit but you know uh, it had all the uh, data points that I would have had to research you know so I think market research content writing all this might be replaced to an extent yeah and how does that play out as uh as you as you can imagine I've heard the analogy when you make a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy it eventually you can't see the original photo. Um, do you see that being what's going potentially happen to content? If it's just getting regurgitated and reiterated and regurgitated without anything new, um, will it be effective at all? Yeah, so it's very interesting to me that Google doesn't like duplicate content. It likes original content in their algorithm for SEO. So I wonder how they will look at content which is which is generated by AI and which probably pulls together content from various sources to create this uh, original content, if you will. Um, but at the same time, you know, as marketers, we need to um, adopt what we cannot change. You know, the future is coming. And I tell this to some of these um, companies that are not embracing some things, that are inevitable, that we need to jump on the bandwagon and find out how to best leverage it. So I, I would be interested to see how Google ranks content written by chatbots. Yeah, I think that's gonna be the big, um, the big uh, aha in this whole movement because, and I don't, I don't know if the average person knows this, but all of us marketers know that Google has a search engine and its primary goal is to get people content that they want and and they measure that by spending more time on the site and so as readers as we're googling we've come across good content we stay and we read or we watch or listen that page gets ranked higher if chat gpt is effectively able to do that and takes your content and makes it more engaging and people stay longer it'll work um, but i also know that Google has its own ability to determine where that content was sourced. And if they make it to an algorithm change, it says we will not showcase any AI content. I don't know what they'll do, but my personal opinion is if the content is resonating with whoever the reader is, is very relevant to their search term, why not? You know, yeah. does it matter where it originated? Yeah. Um, 
That, I mean, that is the question, right? Why not? I wonder if the, at the end of the day, if the user fatigue starts to factor in. Yes, but the positives of it is it democratizes uh, form companies, right? Who cannot afford expensive agencies who will work on this many dollars per word or whatever. Um, smaller companies, nonprofits, they, they can definitely, you know, uh, leverage this. Uh, and I think it's beneficial uh, in terms of uh, how this can be used. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. It's a, definitely an evolution in, in, in our worlds as marketers. And it's fun to watch the hysteria that's going on and the conversations. And, um, yeah. I'm in several chat groups and, it, and the, the sheer number of AI related things that are popping up and things you can do. And, and it's, it's mind blowing. It's going to be amazing what comes out of all of this. Um, I'm just along for the ride right now, trying to yeah. see what. I, I think what will come out of all this is for our next generation is they'll get the universal uh, basic income. <laughs> yeah. If, if that's a good outcome, I'll take it. That's uh, sounds terrific. <laughs> um, so the other, um, the other thing I heard is that the chat, the, the AI is, is going to still, for it to, to really function long-term, it will need injections of fresh original content into the ecosystem uh, to kind of avoid this sameness factor, that iteration of both the same content. So I think there's going to be some opportunities there to figure out how you can be that injection leader, thought leader into the ecosystems. I think AI cannot take over human creativity. Uh, you know, it can be more efficient about how they use existing stuff, but I don't know if they'll be at a level of creating originally creative stuff. So that's uh, the whole EQ versus IQ debate, right? That I don't know. Well, I, I heard that Google is training for EQ, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, they make movies about this kind of stuff. <laughs> So Aditi, what do you like to do for fun? For fun, I like to embrace, uh, embarrass my kids, like, you know, show up and do stuff that they find silly and please don't post this on Facebook. And, and <laughs> so you like friends. to torment your children. That's your, that's your source of fun. <laughs> that, that's, my, that's my entertainment here. How many children do you have? I have a daughter and a son. Yeah, very good. And I'm a newly minted empty nester. Ah, yes. We are going into the empty nester phase next year. Uh, in September of this year, I guess. It's not even next year. It's coming up. So um, what's been your biggest uh, What's been your biggest joy about being an empty nester? You know, I have, I think it's the fact that I can open up my career ambitions, right? Uh -huh. Because for the longest time, I was on the mommy track and then I had to reinvent myself because I came from India and I waited for my um, work permit. And uh, the kids, I thought, you know, when the um, when I was waiting for that, I studied and the only productive thing I could do is produce kids. So, <laughs> so that took 10 years out of my career. And there I was in international business here. I reinvented myself and started from scratch in digital marketing. But I always would say no to jobs in San Francisco or, you know, anything which didn't revolve around the school and, you know, how when I have to get to pick them up and stuff. 
So now I feel this freedom to say yes to a lot more of things that I want to do. Um, but I have actually, looking back at my career, been blessed to be able to work as a contractor where you know you have to roll up your sleeves and actually do the work hit the ground running very fast ad adapt to different teams and uh, and then I had the privilege of working in different uh, environments right from series b stealth mode to mid-size to enterprise you know like hugely matrixed organizations so I feel I've understood how they do this business of uh, marketing very differently depending on the luxury of uh, uh, you know the Rolls Royces of uh, marketing ops and tools and tech stack and budget and uh, bandwidth of resources so uh, you know there are so many things I want to pursue which is why fractional uh, gives you a lot of leeway in exploring all these avenues that you feel that you've missed out on uh, because you limited yourself as a mother. Yeah, that's fascinating. So your your empty nest uh, era is going to be uh, an entree into work, which is really different from many people who think of it as more of a, a winding down uh, retirement opportunity. So no, that's I fascinating. Think, uh, yeah, people who have been working for without break, whether it's husbands or even wives with little kids who have stuck to companies and the same tool over 20 years because they wanted that job security while the kids were little. Um, I think I have retained my excitement about working. I'm not as jaded because I mm -hmm. took this break and I wanted to get back there now. But coincidentally, I used to, choose my working timings, do part-time contracting, take off in the summer to go help my mom um, with her knee surgery, so many things uh, that I used to think that when I'm finally out of all this, I can do the nine to five and commute in this Bay Area traffic. But it so happens that now we are post-pandemic and work from home. <laughs> yeah, you don't even have to do it. You don't have to make that consolation. Yeah. Um, well, then what is uh, who is your ideal client? You know, um, I enjoy clients who give marketing their dues, who think it's not an afterthought for them. I Even if they are, you know, most of these startups in the Bay Area, at least, they will start with the product and the engineering teams, right? Maybe a CEO or somebody. So marketing comes in later and to help educate them about the value of marketing has been a pleasure. Right. But at the same time, when you go into an organization which is already mature, knows the impact of marketing, they need a certain uh, kind of um, step growth that you have to be very sophisticated about. What works for the stealth media um, or series AB clients will not work with the mid or enterprise where they've tattooed out, they need new ideas, they want you to take it to the next level of growth. So I think it's good to have that switcheroo and practice uh, differently for each of these scenarios. Yeah, and as a fractional, you can go in and out of the different clients and learn from the different clients. You bring that uh, these those different perspectives to each client to be able to Actually, add back. Actually, the reason different. I like being a fractional CMO is a company needs fractional CMOs from that perspective too, because they go through different stages of growth. So one size does not fit uh, through all stages of their growth, one CMO. 
they might need a certain type of CMO early on versus later in their evolution. And if they have a certain skill set that suits well for the early part of their hockey stick growth, it might not be the same person who takes them through the later stages. And right. so it was smart for companies to think of that when they go through um, CMOs, because average CMO tenure is also around two to three years, most right. Well, and and we we before we started your CMOs six or so years ago, we saw that statistic that the average CMO lasts two to three years, and, and it made perfectly good sense then for us as a fractional CMO company to set expectations of. You know, we want to be with a client 18 to 24 months. And we have clients that were with 24 or 40 plus months, four years plus. Um, but we have many that are shorter durations and, it, and it's natural and it's okay. And that's a, a value add to our clients is that you know, they're working with a partner that understands that we'll meet them where they are, whether they're early stage, mid-market, and we're there to, to drive a certain step change, as you, if you've mentioned um, but we're not, we're not there to be their forever marketer. Um, we can. No, maybe, maybe they'll rotate uh, fractional CMOs with you. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's an interesting one. We've had some transitions for, um, you know, like somebody was going on to take a full-time role. So we transitioned a new CMO to kind of backfill, but we've not had what you're describing as kind of a rotation because the, the needs changed or the, uh, the, 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 I don't know, roles changed requirements. Um, but I do see that as certainly something that's going to yeah, happen. From a marketer's perspective, you come in with a lot of ideas and you become part of the team and then you start doing a lot of internal echo chambering after mm. a while. Yeah, yeah. Those ideas, you know? So it's good for the marketer also to have that. Yeah. I agree. And actually, as I think about it, now that you mentioned it, our longer clients, some of that we've had four plus years, are actually on their second CMO. So it wasn't planned that way, I guess, but yeah, it, it is. And, and, they, and, when, and then when they brought the new CMO, it was a, a burst of energy and activity and things were different. And, and the client seemed to enjoy that change as well. Mm. Interesting. Well, Aditi, uh, if one of those ideal clients wants to reach out to you, or if anybody wants to reach out to you and talk about demand gen or, or in all things marketing and motherhood, uh, how best would you like someone to reach out to you? Well, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, or they can reach out to me at my your CMO email ID. We can drop both those links in the job description. Sorry, in the you... in the uh, yeah, we'll have both those in the uh, the show notes so they can easily get hold of you. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for, for being on the show today. I really enjoyed um, going a little bit deeper into the demand gen and, and what's next with AI and, and uh, briefly about motherhood and the joys of that. And now your new face. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for letting me have this platform because your CMO is somewhere that I found this peer group of CMOs. It's always good to have that tribal knowledge because if you're running into something, you can always come back to people and you know talk to them. So I really like this community that you have created. So I really wanted to thank you for that. Uh, thank you very much. And thank you for our listeners. We uh, love having a chance to share a fractional expertise with you. 
And if you would be so kind to reach out to Aditi, I'm sure she would love to hear from you. And also consider subscribing to our podcast. My producers say that's important to do. So if you can do that, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much. See you next week. And that's a wrap. There's another successful episode of the Fractional C-Suite Retreat. See our show notes and more episodes at fractionalcsuiteretreat.com. This podcast is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow, save time and money with better marketing strategy and fractional execution. Visit them at yorcmo.com, yourcmo.com, spelled wrong on purpose.